I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another, yet another episode of Art Attack with your host, Lizzie Dastin, art history professor, and myself, Justin Bua, professor of art and history. (laughs) And life. And life on this show. (laughs) So today is an amazing day because we're going to be talking about one of the artists, I think, who is probably the most underrated artist alive because every time I mention him, not alive, he's dead, obviously, but (laughs) to the living, he's underrated. And he is so important to me. Uh, His name is Anwar Domier. And Domier was everything. Domier was kind of everything. And he's so pervasively influential on stuff that we don't even know he's influential on including animation, sculpture, gesture, thought process, creativity, photography, photography, satirism. He's so important of an artist. And I was talking to him about one, uh, talking about him to, to my student. And I was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's like Domia. And he was like, who's that? And I was like, oh, you know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. So Domia in his career, listen to this. Did 500 paintings, 4,000 lithographs, 1,000 wood engravings, 1,000 drawings, and 100 sculptures. He was alive 1808 to 1879. Truly prolific, beyond prolific. Uh, as a young man, he was born outside. He was in, obviously French. Domier, alors. He was. He was. Uh, he was French. Uh, they moved, his dad was a glazier, and he moved to uh, Paris when he was quite young, and he got his first job. He did a lot of jobs. Like, back then, by the way, just want to tell this privileged culture out there, your parents were sending you off to work at, at about 10, 11, 12 years old. So he was already apprenticing at like 11 or 12, working his butt off on different things runner, clerk, whatever. But by the time he was uh, 14, he was actually working, like actually working as an artist, which is intense. Uh, And and luckily enough, before that, he had studied under one of his dad's friends in the academic world of art and then just kind of started moving from atelier to atelier and really just grinding in the art world in Paris during that time. So... This was a guy who was who was deep in art as a child. And also the time that he started making work, I think, is really significant. So it isn't just his personal history, but also his intersection with the history of Paris. And while he was alive, there were two gigantic political revolutions and even an internal revolution within the aesthetic of art. So when he became well-versed in the lithography and the etchings and the paintings, the academic school is what was so popular. So people like Jerome and uh, people who painted subject matter-wise something mythological, allegorical, or biblical. And so it was just a very refined, tight style, and the people who were being represented were not contemporary. So they were 
people of lore, of myth, of the Bible. And that's a really important thing to note because Daumier and his contemporaries, Millet and Courbet, but Daumier specifically within a political sphere, wanted to paint who was actually living in Paris. He wanted to paint all echelons of society, not just the wealthiest, not just the privileged, but people who were in the working class. And so really, this is a huge pivot in art. Who deserves to be in a painting? Whose stories should be told? And Daumier was instrumental in that shift. Yeah, and you know, Daumier did paint allegorical and biblical narratives. I want to say he painted it. He drew them mostly. Uh, but he, he did it in a, in, a, in, a, in a satirical way. He made fun of it. Uh, he he did a lot of Don Quixote as well. He was obsessed with Don Quixote, so he did a lot of illustrative stuff. But I think you're right. I think you know he was obsessed with uh, the common man. You know, much like uh, artists that I love, Bruegel and and Rembrandt, etc. And so on. Yeah, you're showing me third class carriage right there. Yeah, but before we get to third class carriage, I want to talk about the. The, the, he was obsessed with just, like you said, people and characters. He was so phenomenal at expressions. He was, he was, this is what was great about him as an artist, in my opinion. Daumier was so good at expressions and character, like the essence and the spirit of somebody. And he was also really great at gesture. Those two things made him articulate visually beyond imagination. So he was ap really able to capture people at different things in different walks of life, whether it was judges or lawyers or people who were in the art sphere or whatever. He really got that, that face. And that, that was really difficult to do. That was a, quite a, like he really was obsessed with human emotions. And Degas actually said that there were three important draftsman of all time. This is what Degas said. Three greatest draftsmen of all time. Do you want to guess who Degas said they were? Well, I'm assuming Daumier. <laughs> Michelangelo. Rembrandt. No. Daumier. No? No. Jacques uh, Jean-Dominique Ang, who was Degas' oh, teacher. Right. Which is pretty good. Michelangelo, Ang, and Daumier. So Degas saying Daumier because he's drawing these complex emotions and complex gestures. Yeah, and early on, he was much tighter. He was much more of a renderer. And so he, when he was doing his satirical stuff, and that was his lithography, he was, when he was drawing on limestone, he was, he was tighter. He was just more rendered. He became looser and looser and looser as he went on. And ultimately, that looseness and that style, I believe, influenced a lot of what Disney was doing. Well, let's talk about the specifics of some of these facial renderings Absolutely. because you give a great overview. And so now let's look at some art. So in a lot of his satirical prints, he is criticizing the monarchy and vilifying these leaders for their gluttony, for their multiplicity of faces, and just for the fact that they're big old con men. Yep. And he has one called The Past, The Present, The Future from 1834. And it's the monarch with kind of this pear-shaped head and multiple faces. So one is this grimace. Another looks like sort of a Trumpian snarl. And to me, what this work 
illustrates is just the fact that there is so much duplicitousness within politics in France at the time. And so he's saying, oh, the face that you're seeing is the face that you see right now, but in a second, it could shift to a different face. And so you should not trust these political leaders. That's, and the that's pair, Louis Philippe, by the way. Right, right, right. Louis Philippe. Louis yeah. Philippe is the monarch and... I think his nickname was something like Poivre, which the is pear. pear. Yeah, they always called him the pear. It, right, made, so they called him the pear because he was so fat. And because his head was shaped like a pear, and in one of his illustrations I saw, he actually did a the evolution of a pear, like how he built his face up, constructing it as a pear, and then it just became a pear. Yeah, so that's amazing. And amazing. that is a political satire that would have had particular resonance to Parisians in, uh, or contemporary Parisians, but it still is readable today, which I think shows how successful the the satire is. Yep. Well, you know, also, Daumier, like you said, love making fun of lawyers, love making fun of judges, and especially kings, and actually, he got in trouble of making fun of, who was it? I believe it was... Uh, King Louis on his throne with the one with the tongue coming out. Do you see that one? And do you have that one on your slide? Oh, I don't have a slide of it, but I've seen it. Is that the one where the tongue is like a conveyor belt yes. with all of these bags of money? Yeah, so he got, uh, he got charged with slander and went to jail for six months. So after he did that, he came out of jail and said, okay, well, I'm not going to do anybody, but I'm going to do fictional representations of real people so that they can't say it's slander. But he really, really hated the bourgeois. And he, can sh he shows that a lot on, as, you know, as Paris is shrinking with the train system coming in, and poor people are riding by rich people, and rich people are riding by people who are drunks, and you know, it, starts to, it starts to make it one small world. And he's able to kind of capture what's happening at the time. And that's what he was really concerned about. He said, and I quote, I do not care about being immortal. I just care about representing my time. And I think that's a very important thing because a lot of artists, they want to be immortal. They want to be in the art history books. They want to be in museums. He didn't really give a shit about that. Well, those artists are the ones from the Academy who are being produced by that machine painting immortal subjects. And so that's another way in which Daumier is able to visually and energetically revolt from that expectation. Mm -hmm. And something else that I think is important to note about him, you mentioned his hatred of the bourgeoisie and his embrace of lower classes. And I think that also extends to his interest in photography because photography was just starting to become a technique that people were interested in right around the time that Daumier was working. And photography popularized having your portrait taken because before that moment, the only people who could afford it were those who had buckets of money. And so now photography is still an, an expensive thing to do, but it is more open to the middle class. And Daumier, he saw that possibility and he saw that opportunity. And there was a photographer friend of his named Nadar in Paris. And Nadar was known for taking these portraits, these deep psychological studies mm -hmm. of his sitters. And he had people like Manet and he photographed Daumier. 
And mm. I love that moment because it's two different art styles colliding together, but it also gives us great insight into Daumier's character. And if you see the work, he was photographed a couple of times, but he just looks like a thoughtful, pensive, middle-class man. He's not wearing great expensive clothing, even though I'm sure he could have afforded something more ornate than what he's rendered in, but he wanted to be of the people. He is photographing <laughs> the common man and he's being photographed in turn as a common man using this language that the common man can afford to. Yeah. Well, I also feel like Nadar... Uh, he did make fun of photography too, though, Daumier. And if you see that Neda élevant la photographie à l'auteur de l'art, he's also making fun of the fact there are a million, there's Nadar in a balloon photographing, you know, Paris, but then there's a bajillion photography studios because right. it becomes like, you know, commonplace. Everybody all of a sudden's a photographer. Totally. It's a practice. Initially, more than an elevated art form, but Nadar, he was different, and his mm -hmm. portraits were considered, even at the time, fine art. And elevated is a funny use of word because he, in Daumier's rendering, is up in a balloon, and so he's physically elevated from the scene, but also the work that he was able to produce is aesthetically elevated, too. Daumier also uh, painted the theater a lot, and I think that's because his dad was friends with a lot of the people in the theater. In fact, he has a really beautiful painting of three people behind on the other side of the theater after the show to kind of, and it's very, it's very intense and it feels very sad. Like when all the crowd goes away and they get their little crumbs of money, this is what they're doing. They're just sitting around, you know, and it, there's something powerful about his, his painted work. Because Daumier, we know him more for his lithography, but his painted work uh, is very beautiful and it's very simple. And if you look at artists today, some of the most important development, visual development artists in animation like Carter Goodridge and Peter DeSeve, they really take so much from Daumier, like so much, as do many other artists. So he's a really good secret weapon for artists out there. And he could draw like a motherfucker, so that's it. Like he, that, that alone is a secret <laughs> weapon. But he, he was able to capture light in a beautiful way as well. I think he was a very underrated uh, painter, and he's known more as a draftsman, but I think that his painting was very gestural, whimsical. He painted a little like Delacroix. Oh, I was going to say there's a Caravaggio nature for me to his work, maybe in the interplay between his lights and his darks, and the way that some of his figures are internally lit. Mm -hmm. So it feels like a Rembrandt motif. It feels like a Caravaggio. Yeah, and we should talk about his most iconic painting, mm -hmm. The Third Class Carriage, because yep. I really think that that synthesizes so much of what Daumier is able to offer. 1865, Third Class Carriage. Yes, yes you, it was. Do you want to talk no, about it? No, go ahead. He's no. your darling. Well, I mean, third-class carriage, once again, we're talking about the shrinking train system, and you have these poor people, this woman and the kid, this poor kid sitting in shadow, and another kid not breastfeeding, but looks like they're breastfeeding. And they're just sitting in light, and behind them, is that the bourgeois behind them? 
the, the, the wealthy class? I think so because of the hats that they wear. Paris yeah. at the time, you can always determine rank, social rank from the hats. In Impressionism, for instance, if you see a woman with a big feathered plume, often she was a lady of the night. And so I think that the bowler hats that the men in the background wear, that that was an identifier of the bourgeois. So do you think that you could wear uh, a bowler hat if you were broke or you just couldn't afford one? Probably you couldn't afford That's one. That's what it was, right. Because I would just try to steal one and be like, yeah, I guess I'm a bourgeoisie <laughs> Of course dude. you would. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, I'm the bourgeoisie too, but then why do you have dirt on your face? And you know, So I, I think here, you know, it's funny because third class carriage shows you that there's a caste system, you know, that's starting to evolve and, and you're seeing it now on the train system. But there's other, there's other images which show that there's wealthy people next to poor people on the same actual seat. But this shows a separation of class. But all within the same space. And so Absolutely. they are, they're segmented, but not really. And everybody is together on this physical train, but their intention for why they're there differs. And so I think that he is representing the spectrum of society in a way that other people before him had not. And he doesn't really ennoble the working class the way that Millet does or the way that Corbet does. And those, yeah. again, are his contemporaries. But I think his representations are just a lot more authentic, that mm. he's not looking down on the peasant class trying to elevate them. Because there is a little bit of a power tension when Millet, who was a lot wealthier of a person than the peasants that he often painted when he's like, oh, you are so noble. Let me paint you the way that you should be painted. There's something a little bit imperialistic about that, that thought, that mindset. And Daumier, I really believe that he was painting his people in a way that felt more sincere to them. Yeah. And a lot of her, his work uh, looks very cartoony. You know, he's, he's right on the cusp of cartoony, realism you know he 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 plays he plays with that especially with his uh with his lithography um and the reason i say that is because these are really you know we're looking at third class carriage and it's almost a cartoony image you know it's not it doesn't have that realism that that corbet and a lot of the other artists that were in his genre had you know, and he gets away with it because it feels so sincere. There's a sincerity to it. And so in that way, perhaps he is the most progressive of the three artists who are identified as realists because he's the one who departs from this academic, precise style the most. And in looking at the third-class carriage, there's no way that the central female character was not an influence to Van Gogh in his potato eaters. There's no way. There's so much similarity between her facial structure and also the loosening of those features and what Van Gogh would create decades later. Yeah, Daumier was like, I, you know, people, I, I saw him, I think when I was eight years old, my mom, I saw him somewhere and then my mom got me a book on him. And by the time I was like 10, I was drawing from Daumier. And he has influenced my my work personally so much, and I feel like the there's so many artists out there who he has influenced, and he's in a lot of ways. If you look at some of the paintings, also, 
uh, like this mother leading her daughter up the staircase. The background is so abstract, it harkens to modern art. He really felt like there was a modern art aspect to his work, to the way that he just simplified everything and abstracted things, shapes and colors and values. So he's full, he's like a rich, full circle artist. And then you start getting into his caricatures and he's got some of these beautiful busts. You know, he's got a hundred sculptures. Uh, some of them were just done in clay and he painted them and they're falling apart, of course. Um, some of them have been bronzed, but a lot of them are from characters in the legal system. Uh, a lot of these, these guys that he always made fun of, you know, he would make fun of like, he would say, here's this lawyer that he drew and he's pretending to be busy, you know, that kind of stuff. Because <laughs> there were, at that time, there were millions, you know, that he, that's what he was saying. Like, there's millions of lawyers and like, what are you doing? Yeah, you but know, that's kind of prescient, right? Because now everybody makes fun of lawyers, but I can't really think of anybody artistically who did that before Daumier. Yeah, no, Daumier was, and he was very pointed. Like, with, he just went after, he would just go after either a group of people, you know, that you really shouldn't be going after because that was dangerous. You know, you don't, everybody doesn't go after lawyers and judges and, and the aristocracy and, and the bourgeoisie. People just didn't do that. And he did it. And that's, that's why, part of the reason why he wound up in jail. But when he came out after jail, he's like, fuck it. I'm still going after you. You know, that's, I, this is how I see the world. And that's what we get. We get a really unique, authentic vision of the world, which is what is so great about Daumier, what makes him a great artist. Now, let me ask you, so where did these works live? Because I assume that the canvases were intended for private collection, public exhibitions, but the lithographs, did they, were they produced in publications? Media? Publications. Yeah. Okay. So, so then like, that affects the aesthetic and the freedom that he had because typically satirical political drawings are looser in style. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's, he's drawing on uh, limestone more than anything. He's doing mo most of his work is lithography. Lithography comes into effect, I think, around 1812 in Germany. And then by the time it's like, so that, so you have to see Domi is only four by then. But by the time it gets bigger, you know, in the 30s, 40s, he's already, you know, or, or, or even the 20s in Paris. And that's, that's a means to where all of these people are doing all their illustrations for the newspapers. Domi is at the forefront of it. So there's a bunch of lithography studios in Paris at that time, and he's drawing like crazy uh, on limestone, and, and it becomes the medium of choice. And it's not till later in the, 18, in the 1800s that color lithography comes into play. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think that we can overestimate the impact of the Industrial Revolution on Daumier. Yes. On him personally, on his art, because we have lithography coming up. We have photography starting to become popular. We have the total rapid transformation of Paris that's happening as he's living, and also how that affects modes of transportation like trains. And so Daumier, he's able to, there's almost a hybridity of technology and industrialism that we can see using his art as a lens. Yeah. And I think he's also like, he, he just hit so many worlds so uniquely and he was the first, like, uh, his whole vision on vision, you know, his whole take on art. He always has like, 
you know, people looking through art and like the, the judgments that people are making on art and the artist judgments that people are making on people that are judging their work. For example, on this uh, painting, the painting would do if it were a little wider. It's this client going to this uh, atelier and like, yeah, I like it, but eh, it'd be better if it was a little wider. You know, and there we're getting into like, right? It's like that. that is the quintessential thing that artists have to deal with is like, I'm an artist. I'm not here to de design a living room for your couch because it doesn't fit with your, your couch or your table. I'm here to create art. And he really got so deep into that and deep into people's judgments of art that that, that was a whole other genre that had never been... Uh, just kind of looked at under a micro under a microscope. That's what I have to say about that. You're all quiet. You're like, <laughs> oh, no, it's it felt like that was an end moment, so I didn't want to interrupt. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, because there were so many, <laughs> there were so many different takes on it, and you know, you also look at some of his work, um, and I realized that a lot of his concepts and his actual compositions were stolen from Norman Rockwell. Straight lifted. There's a couple of Rockwell Stolen by Norman Rockwell. Yeah. yeah. Not from. <laughs> oh yeah. So, sort of by. Yeah, yeah. So Rockwell, I've saw I, I've seen a couple of paintings that Rockwell clearly loved Omier. You know, beautiful, amazing. That's great. But there's a couple of compositions that he just kind of took and a couple of concepts that he took. Like the kids running, that was Domier a couple of other ones. So it's interesting. You look at some of the most important American illustrators from the 1950s, and they're going back into Daumier and grabbing his stuff because his compositions are even fantastic. He really was. I mean, he, once again, a full circle artist, a guy who's a great composer, a great draftsman, a great painter, a great sculptor, a great lithographer, a great common, a, you know, a great satirist. I mean... He really did everything at the highest level because he was living and breathing it. He wasn't, he wasn't in it for the money or the fame or the fortune. He was in it because he had to do it. He had no other choice. And he was also in it because he was living at such a pivotal global moment for sure. Paris and for the working class and for the middle class. And so many things are being dismantled. And my... The most significant aspect of Daumier's work to me is that he's able to paint what he sees, what he lives, rather than paint these esoteric themes that were being produced ad nauseum by the Academy. And personally, as a historian, I'm always most intrigued by artists who revolt against what is popular. And Daumier is the best, the quintessential example of that revolt. Mm, that's nicely said. And I think that in just ending this is is that really nobody is like Domia. He's in his own, you know, sometimes you got, you can hear him in conversations with Millet and Corbet and, but to me, Domia runs in his own lane. He's really his own artist. And he's, he dug out an important position as an artist in the context of art history. And nobody is, able to duplicate him because he's just like you said you know he's representing that time and that place 
and he does it so well. And that was his whole goal. He said, I want to capture the time through my art. And that's what great artists do. They capture the time in their art, you know, the culture in their art. And nobody really did it better than Domier. Domier. 